Chapter 10 of the Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. A Night of Mystery. The next night, we were all sitting around the campfire when we heard the sound of a gun go off about a half a mile down the creek. I thought it was a gun, but some of the other boys said they thought it might be an automobile. Sometimes backfire from an automobile sounds like a gunshot, but somehow or another, I had an idea it was nothing but a gun. After the boys all went into the tent, and Doc Waters and I were still sitting alone by the fire, I heard it again. What can that be, Hawkins? asked Doc. He always tested me like that. Doc always knew that I figured out things for myself, and he likes to try me. Somebody's firing a gun, I said simply. No mystery about that, Doc. Doc laughed. You don't seem much worried about it, he said, still smiling. No, I answered. There ain't anything to be afraid of. Anybody can fire a gun. At this time of night? I looked at the watch that Doc had pulled from his pocket, and by the light of the fire I saw it was tin. Don't make any difference what time, I said, but at the same time I had begun to figure out that maybe Pooley and his gang of knights of the square table were having one of their night excursions into the woods. Nobody ever knew exactly what the knights of the square table had up their sleeves. They were always coming and going through the woods, silently like messengers of bad news. They had picked me out as an enemy. Why? I never knew but I had been told by one of their own members that I had been spotted and that if I ever fell into the clutches of Pooley or Watts, two of their foremost members, it would be hard with me. Ho-hum, I said at length. Time to sleep, Doc. Are you coming to bed? Not right away, he answered. You go to the cot, Hawkins. I shall sit out yet a while. And so I went to my little cot in one of the two rows within the tents where all the boys were already sleeping. Over each cot we had rigged a netting because the mosquitoes were bad this year. Always near the creek the mosquitoes are thick and some say that it is not wise to camp out near the creek because insects. I say that if there weren't mosquitoes to bite you once in a while you wouldn't really think you were camping out. It's on the way you look at these things and besides the mosquito netting was good. Seldom did a long-legged insect manage to creep under and usually when he did one sound slap settled his bother. I had been lying on my bunk, perhaps ten minutes, looking out through the flap at Doc, where he sat smoking by the campfire. Then I saw him rise, shake the ashes from his long stem pipe, and come to his bed. Within five minutes, he was snoring. I remember lying so long listening to this discordant music that I began to grow restless. I couldn't sleep. Some nights I'm that way. You just can't get to sleep. I figure it's because I think so much and try to figure out so much how to keep the club out of trouble. Anyway, I tossed from one side of the cot to the other until I finally turned my head to the foot of the cot and tried to sleep. But sleep wouldn't come. But I wasn't the only one who couldn't sleep. I noticed that within a few minutes more, I saw one of the boys leave his cot, hurriedly step into his knickerbockers and draw on his boots. He slipped the jacket of his pajamas tightly into his waist and drew his belt tight. I couldn't make out who it was, because we were in the habit every night of taking the first cot we came to, 
and nobody has a cot to call his own. You sleep where you can. That's all. The campfire had burned low, but in the dim glow, I saw the figure of this boy pass through the open tent and out to the place where, under the shelter, we had our guns stacked. I stepped slightly out of my cot and pulled on my knickers and shoes and walked noiselessly out of the tent, where I stood watching the boy. As I came out, I saw who it was. It was Herb Acomb. He stood by the gun rack and fingered the rifles, but, passing them, he took the shotgun, the one we took away from Roof Rogers some years ago, and lifted it out of its resting place. I saw he was about to turn and come back, so I stepped inside the tent, just within the door, and let him pass. He went quickly to the box where we kept the cartridges and took out a pack of them, thrusting them hurriedly into his pocket and came back out. He paused a moment before the embers of the dying fire. Only a moment he paused. Then he turned and ran silently and swiftly into the woods and beyond the tent. Oh boy, he wasn't going to get away from me like that. If Herb Acomb knew anything, I was going to know it too. If Herb was expecting trouble, I was the one to stick behind him and help him if he needed help. I ran quickly to the ammunition chest and grabbed a box of cartridges. I didn't think that kind of grab until I came back to the gun rack. And then I saw that I had rifle bullets, and I took one rifle that was always been dear to me. The one that Larry King gave me once. The rifle that Harkinson tried to steal one time. In a minute, I was on the trail of Herb Acomb. As I plunged into the darkness of the forest... I could not see which way he had gone. I paused on tiptoes until I saw something move ahead of me. Then I pushed forward. The thorn on the blackberry bush swung into my arms and face like electric shocks, but I didn't mind now. I was on the trail of mystery and adventure. I would follow blindly to wherever it led. Through the high-treed woods behind the tent, out in the bald bank of the stagnant creek, and once more, back in the gloomy darkness of the woods, I followed him. I was almost upon his heels, going up the narrow path of the rise that led from the creek, and there in the glen, a beautiful spot in the forest at night, I saw him stop and lift his gun. The great August moon had come up late. It was shining like a lantern in the sky. In its mellow radiance, I saw Herb pause, lift his gun. As he did so, he gave a low whistle, that sounded ghostly in the woodland stillness. Like a statue, Herb Acomb stood in the moonlight, his arms aloft, holding the silent gun as a signal. Immediately, from behind the firs, stepped a tall, lanky figure, also with a gun, holding it aloft as a signal, perhaps, that he didn't intend to shoot. For a few moments, both of them stood thus, and the silvery moon shone upon them. Then, as if by sudden move, they both lowered their guns and began walking towards one another. In the middle of the moonlight glen, they halted, facing one another. I'm here, said Herb Acomb. I heard your call. What is it you want? I thought you had misunderstood, said the tall, lanky boy, who stood half concealed by a shadow of the great tree that fell athwart the path. I fired twice, as I told you, and when you had not come in five minutes, I was afraid you had misunderstood my message. I was about to fire again. I heard... Herb Acomb chuckled under his breath. It's good you didn't, he said. That would have been another signal. What? You haven't double-crossed me. No, Lord bless you, but I have to read signals. If you had fired again, I would have stayed in my bed. You told me it was only two. If I'd heard three or four shots, I would have been afraid to come. 
I would have thought it was somebody else. Good enough. Well, how is he? What does he say about me? He is fine. He looks well, and I think he is happy, except when he thinks of you. I overheard him say to Secretary Hawkins that he would have no more to do with you in all his life. But he is well. He does not suspect anything. He doesn't know I'm with the Knights and Pooley? He wouldn't believe it if I told him. Does he ever speak of me? Never. Except that once to Hawkins. The tall boy nodded. It was the nod of the head that brought back to my mind some far-off recollection. Where had I seen this boy before? Somewhere, sometime in the dim past, he and I had met face to face. The voice itself sounded familiar, yet I could not, in that dim moonlight, recognize him. The stoop of his shoulders, the ragged felt hat, and the long, unkept hair reminded me of somebody, and I tried to think where and when I had met him and who he was, but I could not. I saw him lift his gun. You know what I told you, he said to Herb. You will not forget. I will never forget your kindness to me, said Herb. You can ask of me what you want, and I will try to do all that I can. That will be enough. You take care to see that I am informed of anything that happens, if it concerns him. Indeed I will, if it costs me my life. You have been good to me, boy, and I will never forget it. Forget it? You better that. I'm only for one thing, and that's to see he doesn't get hurt. I'll always be near him. I never let him out of my sight when he is around. He goes back to Watertown sometimes, but he never stays. I always follow him in a canoe with that other fella. With whom? With Robbie Hood? He's a good boy. Don't ever let him out of your sight. If you do, Acomb, you and me. I know. It will be all right, I promise you. I must be going back now before they miss me. That secretary fellow is pretty sharp. Shouldn't wonder if he hasn't missed me by this time and followed. I know him too. He's pretty sharp. Keep your wits about you, Herb. I don't want Secretary Hawkins to know a thing. Not a thing. Y'all understand? He must not know. It would be bad if... Suddenly the talking came to an end. The tall, lanky shadow of the boy turned suddenly and was eaten up in the gloom under the trees behind him. As he went, Herb Acomb turned swiftly and started back to camp. I ran ahead of him and gained the tent, just in time to undress and leap into my cot. When he entered and silently went back to bed, but he went right to sleep, while I lay restlessly, tossing to and fro and turning over in my mind the mysterious conversation that I had heard. Finally, I heard by Herb's heavy breathing that he was asleep, and that I alone was awake in the tent. I wonder what it all means, I said to myself. I bet that it won't be long until we get into trouble with the knights, which we did. End of chapter 10